0: And welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick. And today I'm chatting with Julie and Megan, who are doulas, VBAC moms, and co-owners of the VBAC Link, where they believe in making birth after cesarean better by providing education, support, and a community of like-minded people. Through the VBAC Link, they have educated thousands of professionals and parents all over the world about factual and evidence-based information about vaginal birth after cesarean. Julie has had three VBACs at home home, h is always caffeinated and has four children under the age of seven. Megan is a VBA2C, so a V-back after two cesareans mom who loves anything fitness related and is a busy, busy mom of three. As a doula myself, I know that many people have never heard of the term VBAC, which is the acronym for vaginal birth after cesarean. The old saying, once a C-section, always a C-section is a myth. I've supported dozens of VBAC moms over the years, and we know that VBACs aren't for everyone. That's why I'm chatting with Megan and Julie to talk about VBACs, how to know if you're a good candidate, what the benefits and risks are, what you can do to increase your chances of having a VBAC, and more. Let's welcome Julie and Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi, Julie. Thank you both for joining me today on our podcast, Chick Chat. How are you guys doing? Oh,
1: we're doing so good. Happy to be here. Yes, we're doing great. We're excited to be here with you and talk feedback.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. So I'm also a birth doula and postpartum doula, and I love, 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 love chatting with other birth workers. And over the past 10 years of working with families, I've felt that a lot of families don't get enough information or support about VBACs from their communities or care providers. And this is why I just really love what you guys are doing at the VBAC link. So many people think or have been told that once you have a C-section, that you will always have a C-section, but that's not always the case. And as VBAC moms yourselves, I would like for you both to walk us through VBAC so that our listeners can feel more educated on this topic. So let's start at the very beginning. You guys, what is a VBAC?
1: Very good question. <laughs> v back, you know, we see because we're in the world, we see it spelled all different ways. We see it like V B A C K, V B A K. It's V B A C. So if you ever see that, and it's usually in all caps, it's vaginal birth after cesarean, and that just simply means that someone, a birther, has given birth after a cesarean, vaginally. Yes.
0: Yes. I know. Some people are like, what is that? I've never heard of this. I am so confused. Um, So thank you for clearing that up. So ladies, what are the benefits and risks or I guess pros and cons of having a VBAC? I know there's a lot of details into this, but we'd love for you guys to share.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think before I get into that, I kind of want to talk about the misheld belief of once a cesarean, always a cesarean. I think that it originated in 1918 and well i'm not going to get into the backstory and the details of all of that a lot of people believe today that once you have a c-section you always have to have a c-section and um, in fact the apa estimates that 90% of parents who have had a c-section will go on to have c-sections for the remainder of their births but the APA also states that up to, or 60 to 80%, and we see even higher success rates with more supportive providers of parents are great candidates for VBAC and will be successful in their attempt. Although we hate to use the word successful when referring to birth, but just for differentiation, I guess it is appropriate here. And so most parents are good candidates for VBAC, but most parents won't be offered the chance or know they even have the option to do so. And um, The reason why you might consider having a vaginal birth after you've had a cesarean is there are just a lot of benefits for the mother and the baby of, that happen through the natural birth process that you miss when you have a C-section. So some of those benefits include um, labor happening spontaneously when both mom and baby are ready. You'll see less less rates of NICU admissions for baby. You'll see fewer complications in the mother. You'll see babies that are better prepared for the outside world, for life on the outside, if you want to say, and they're they're ready and, and thriving and passing through the birth canal actually exposes baby to the microbiome, the mother's microbiome, which passes through their head and their face um, into their mouth, nose, and ears, and it actually impacts their gut health and it improves their immunity. It boosts their autoimmune automatic immune response to all outside diseases for the rest of their life, not just immediately post-birth. So those are really good benefits. A lot of providers heavily focus on the risk of VBAC. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a little bit. But what most providers don't go over is the risk of having a repeat cesarean. And if you think about it, a C-section is a, a major surgery. It's a major abdominal surgery. And so as you have cesareans, and these risks increase the more cesareans that you have, you have a higher chance of hemorrhaging. In fact, um, during a C-section, you lose two to three times more blood than you do in a vaginal birth. So there's a risk of that. You have the risks of dense adhesions, which is um, excessive scar tissue forming between the uterine cavity and the bladder and the... All of the internal organs that are down there in your pelvic floor area and in your lower abdomen that can cause a lot of health problems. You have the risks of you know just epidural and even general anesthesia if you get put under for your cesarean. Uh, There are major risks for that, but there are also pros to cesareans sometimes you know, the first birth was very traumatic for the for the parent and they can't imagine going through another birth. And I think like physical reasons and mental reasons are both good reasons to choose a cesarean if that's a good fit for you. But they're also good reasons to choose a vaginal birth and then trying for a vaginal birth. So I feel like I'm kind of been a little bit all over the place, pros and cons. But um but repeat cesarean I mean it's it's I don't know. It's I definitely not the easy way out. It's harder, oh, a placenta pre- previa and placenta accreta, I haven't talked about that. That's another risk. The more cesareans you have, the higher your chances of having placenta previa and placenta accreta are. Mm-hmm. And that and means- And
1: infertility too.
2: Yes. And infertility. Absolutely. Yeah, it can cause
1: infertility and it can even cause issues that you wouldn't think that are not even related to birth, like bladder issues, back mm-hmm. pain, incontinence, incontinence yeah. things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well,
1: yeah. There's so many, like it's crazy. I just wanted to
2: talk just for half a second about placenta previa and placenta accreta because some people might not know what that is, but placenta accreta accreta is where the, the placenta grows into or even through the uterine lining. And that's a really big emergency for both mom and baby. The placenta doesn't detach like it should and can cause a lot of blood loss. It can cause permanent harm and damage and injury to the mother. More often so than the baby, but it's risk to both. And placenta previa is when the placenta actually covers the cervical opening. And this happens when it can't find good uterine tissue to grow into with that excessive scar tissue from the C sections. And if you, the placenta covers the cervix, the baby can't come out. And so it leads to another C section, which then increases your risks of all of these other things that <laughs> come with more and more. Frequent cesareans.
0: See, and all of that information. You're so right. It's not discussed enough. I think it's just like, oh, you're pregnant. Let's just you know schedule another one. And some doctors, you know, once you get pregnant again and you've had a C-section or a, or two C-sections, they may say like, you know, we may want to limit the amount of children that you have at this yeah. point because more cesareans are just going to be really hard on you and baby. But they don't really go into all of these details. So again i knew that you two were the ladies to chat with <laughs> about all this really give us the inside scoop on you know what is best for mom and baby but as i said earlier i know that it's not best for everyone. Just like, you know, I've had a home birth. I know that home births are not for everybody and that's okay. And I know that VBACs are not for everyone. I've had doula clients say like, I feel like I'm supposed to want to have a VBAC, but I, I don't, don't I desire. don't know if I, yeah. And I'm like, that's okay. So I, I really appreciate you guys going through all of this and telling us you know, these benefits and risks, not only to VBACs, but cesarean. So then that way people can go to their, you know, their birthing experience, feeling a lot more educated on, okay, what is best for me? What do I feel most comfortable with? What do I feel safe about? And let me have this kind of discussion with my, my care provider. And you said, Julie, I believe you said that, you know, doctors or, well, yeah, doctors definitely tend to focus more on the cons of VBACs. Can you guys touch a little bit on that?
1: Yeah. Well, so we're talking about like, you know, why practitioners maybe only go towards sharing the risks of VBAC versus, you know, C-section. And and this is typically, it really happens a lot where providers don't really want to do a VBAC. <laughs> have right. you yeah. have you personally had clients that they're like, oh, my doctor, I want a V VBAC, but my doctor won't let me?
0: Absolutely. Oh, yes. I I am located in Houston, Texas. We're the largest medical center in the country, if not world. And we're very medicalized. So I have to like uh-huh. fight against the system. It feels like a lot. And I have, you know, my list of care providers where I'm like, these are the ones you go to if you're wanting a VBAC. They're going to be your best friend. But there's a lot of them that, yeah, when a new client comes to me and is talking about a VBAC and their doctor says, no, that's not something that. I feel comfortable with that's when I'm like, all right, we have to think of alternatives. But I want it, I want them to know why, why is it that, you know, some doctors are just like, you know what? Absolutely not. I don't, I don't want to do
1: this. So I had two C-sections. I have had two C-sections. And then I went on to have a V back. And after my first C-section, I learned about VBAC and really wanted someone to support me in this journey and so before i even got pregnant i started interviewing providers and and going around and a lot of providers were like oh well there's so many risks associated with vbac and they did they of course they touched on uterine rupture and all of these things and they didn't they never touched on c-section ever and it kind of became a trend and there was this one provider here that actually was told was given to me, the name was given to me, and I was told that he was very VBAC supportive. He, of course, started telling me the risks associated with VBAC. And I said, okay, you are like the seventh provider that have told me all the risks for VBAC. I completely understand them. I am very well aware. I said, but no one talks about the risks of C-section. He said, yeah, okay. And I said, so what are they? You know, like, Tell me. And he's like, Well, there's really not that many risks. It's pretty like simple. And, you know, this is a V back supportive provider. And I it was kind of a red flag for me thinking, Wait, so you're telling me me going into a major surgery, there are zero risks. And he stopped back and he said, Actually there are. And he went over the risks. And after I said, Okay, so would you support me, you know, going into a V back? And he said, Well, listen. I have a family and I have a life too. And I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) like All right. And he said, so absolutely, I will support you. However, I will have a form that you will need to sign understanding that you're saying that you understand the risk because you are putting my family and my life at risk by wanting to be back. And it was right there where I sat back and thought, you know what? These providers, they go through a lot themselves. Even though he wanted to support me, he had a whole bigger picture, right? Because if something did go wrong, that's his insurance, that's his family, that's his livelihood and his practice that was at risk. And I think a lot of providers, and I I can't speak for all of them, but I think a lot of providers carry this weight on them. And they're thinking, well, if I can just go in and do this very standard surgery, because unfortunately these days it, it is very standard. We have a very high percentage, you know, here in the US, you know, it's like above 30%, or I think it's actually 29% as of 2017. Julie will have to correct me because she's really good at numbers. But anyway, <laughs> it's high. it's It's really high. And so it's a very standard, comfortable procedure and surgery that these doctors are doing. And so if you add the unknown of a vaginal birth after cesarean, even though there are risks for cesarean, it scares them. And so they're scared or they may have seen a past traumatic experience and they hold on to them and they, they can't leave them at the door. And so they're a little apprehensive to supporting VBAC and, and being comfortable with it. Julie, what did you want to add?
2: 31.7 percent. Okay, yeah from 2019, the provisional data, because it takes a couple of years to like really get it solidified. So from 2019 is 31.7% of all births were cesarean and the NTSV rate is 25.6. Now the NTSV rate sounds for like the low risk population, first time mom, singleton pregnancy, things like that. So for 25% of our first time parents are having cesareans, which is not a very... Good number.
1: (laughs) It's actually very high. Yeah, it's way. I mean, it was like five percent in the eighties. So
2: yeah. So let's um. Yeah, before that is actually it started creeping up in the nineteen seventies. But up until the nineteen seventies, the cesarean rate was less than five percent in the United States. But I was going to talk about yes, exactly what Megan said. Providers in the nineties, there was this huge like. VBAC political fiasco where everyone was using Cytotech to induce everybody. And as you know, now like Cytotech increases the chance of uterine rupture by tenfold and nobody knew why all these uterine ruptures were happening. And so people started freaking out. Everyone started suing their doctors. And so I think we have this older generation of providers who lived through that and have trauma, unprocessed trauma related to the events that they've seen in the mid to late 90s Regarding VBAC, and then attitudes shifted, and into and you know, in I think 1998, the U, the United States cesarean rate hasn't ever dropped below 29 percent since then, and so we have providers that are holding on to outdated beliefs that have their routine. It's easier for them. Think about a provider like they see dozens of, they deliver dozens of babies a month. I I mean, we have some providers in our areas that just had like. 40 or 50 babies in one month that they delivered. Megan, I think I know who you're, I want to send like a vibe. Like I, if you know who I'm talking about, but like his load, he's known as very VBAC supportive. And so uh, he takes a lot of VBACs, but now he's becoming less and less VBAC supportive because I feel like he's overworked. He's tired. Mm -hmm. He, Mm -hmm. you know, being on call and and coming into work, delivering, you know, one to two babies a day is completely exhausting. And, and I think that them not supporting VBAC, C-section is definitely easier on them and their schedule. And I think that it might be their way of trying to bring some type of normalcy into their work life, some type of predictability into their work life. And then also I think like there's that one VBAC supportive provider that I'm talking about. He has seen one catastrophic uterine rupture in his career. Mom and baby are are alive and well and no long-term effects from that uterine rupture. But every time he talks about supporting VBAC, he talks about uterine rupture and he tells this story (laughs) of this one time that he saw this really, really emergency, catastrophic uterine rupture. And I think that our providers have all seen something like that, whether it's with uterine rupture or not, but they've all seen really scary situations during birth. And I think that they hold on to those things in ways that they don't even realize, and it can affect the way they practice. I mean, just think about like me, for example, there are certain providers that I don't particularly love working with or certain hospitals that I won't go to because of my experiences there as a doula. And I think if we see hard things just as people, when we see hard things in our lives, or we have traumatic experiences, we naturally want to veer away from them. It's our brain's way of protecting us from experiencing that over and over again. And so I feel like our providers don't have a good outlet to process their trauma. I feel like they don't have a good outlet to go through and be supported in healing their their minds. And so if they you have a provider that's seen one or two uterine ruptures, then it terrifies them. And of course they don't want to experience that again. And so it's easier for them to schedule a cesarean for for a myriad of reasons. But um, I'm going to give a short little example, and then we can go on. But I had a, a VBAC recently. Who the nurse every time the baby would drop off the monitor, the nurse would rush in and adjust the monitor. You know, it's normal nurse. You know, I mean, some nurses are more paranoid about continually seeing the baby's heartbeat, and sometimes the providers are, are dictating that to them. But I had a nurse every time she would rush in and adjust the monitor. And my client was laboring beautifully. And then one time when she came in after the baby dropped off the monitor, she was adjusting the monitor. She said, you know, I'm sorry that I keep coming in here every time the baby um, isn't picking up a good heart tone. But one time I had a v back, or I she used the word TOLAC, but one time I had a TOLAC parent who, that when I came in to check on them and the baby had dropped off the monitor, the uterus had completely exploded and baby was in, the mother's abdomen. And so I'm, I'm always extra aware when I have Tolak moms, when I have Tolak moms drop off the monitor. And so she was like Talk vocalized.
1: Dramatic verbiage. That's- yeah, I
0: was, I was just going to say, why would anyone ever say that to a laboring woman?
2: Exactly. Like, what is wrong with people? <laughs> I mean, like, there's a lot of things we can overanalyze about that because I, I, my jaw hit the floor. Like, I had to pick it back up really fast before my client saw. And then when she left, we talked about what she said and we talked about, you of know, she said, you know, I mean, all of the things that you would talk about, but things like that are so incredibly rare, but once you see it, it sticks with you. And so she was carrying that trauma with right. her into supporting my client in her birth. Right. And right. so, I don't know. I, I hope that that made sense. Like I feel like it's just the risk. And and there's r- risks to childbirth all over the place. And there's much higher risks of a lot of other things than there are with uterine rupture for TOLAC. But it's just one of those political things. I think it's very heavily political and misunderstood.
0: And I totally agree with you both because I feel like you know, with anything in life, when you experience something that's negative, you tend to remember that one negative thing over the
2: hundreds or
0: dozens of positive things. And you're like, oh, I want to make sure that that never happens again. But then, oh my goodness, you then change your practices, maybe not even for the better. And then the future people who get to work with you are getting a lesser of an experience. And it just breaks my heart because- Obviously, yes, we, we need to be mindful and, and we want to protect our care providers. They are doing such an important job. I'm, you know, and I know you guys are the same way. I'm all about like, we're a team. It's not us versus them. We want what's best for mom and baby. But yeah, when they have those types of experiences and they're bringing those into other women's births, I just feel like, oh, it's, you have to leave that at the door. This is a completely new person, a completely new baby, pregnancy, birth, and you have to treat it as so. Uh, Because if you bring in a different woman's experience, it's just, uh,
1: it's just unfair in
0: my opinion. Well, when we go through
2: those things as doulas too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we, all birth professionals, we have to do that. We have to leave our experiences at the door. And remember, we're walking in with a new family, a new birth, a new baby, and it's fresh. And we cannot – we can keep the knowledge that we have from our, our previous experiences. Right. And we can hold on to those and be aware. But we can't be heightened with our stress. (laughs) And so I think that is one of, you know, like I was saying earlier, I think those are two reasons why is one, you know, they may have issues with insurance and they worry about their livelihood and their future, you know, practice, and then they hold on to those experiences. Right, right. Okay,
0: so if I were, or if, a you know, random stranger were to walk up to you guys and ask you, is a VBAC safer than a repeat cesarean? How would you answer that?
2: I would say in most circumstances, yes. Yeah, I was going to say most of the time, (laughs) yes. (laughs) For most people, yes. There's fewer chances of complications. There are fewer long-term risks to mother and baby. We talked about the microbiome before with the cesarean. We talked about the risks of um, having a major abdominal surgery, but also not only the immediate risks, the long-term risks like dysfunctional pelvic floor because of your excessive scar tissue, like dense adhesions. Excessive scar tissue is one of the most common complications of cesareans, but most providers don't stick around with the patient long enough to see the effects of those dense adhesions caused by the cesarean, right? And so there's lots of issues that increase the risk or that Would make a VBAC safer than a repeat cesarean. Now, also not all vaginal births are sunshine and butterflies, and sometimes you're dealing with fourth degree tears and and things like that. But generally speaking, vaginal birth. And VBAC is safer than a repeat cesarean. But Megan knows a lot more about the impact on the pelvic floor. She's been doing a lot of research into that lately. And so I think, Megan, you should probably talk about that.
1: And I'm still suffering here. So I've had three babies, the two C-sections, and then my vaginal birth. My vaginal baby is four and a half. He is definitely making sure that I say and a half (laughs) these days. (laughs) And my second C-section baby is six, she'll be seven in March, 2021. And so a long time ago, right? Six years, almost seven years. I had my C-section and I am struggling still to this day with issues. I, so my cesarean scar has adhered. I have, it's adhered to a whole bunch of things, but specifically it's adhered to my bladder. And so I try my hardest to massage and get it to release. And we've worked with pelvic floor specialists and everything. And we're, we're making progress, but it's slow progress because it's been adhered for so long. And it is tight. There's a point. So my amazing pelvic floor specialist, she can press on my incision, like my scar, right? And you'll see other parts along my abdominal you know, my lower abdominal cavity, um, pull, like it actually pulls. Like you can see it pull from far over there because it's attached. Like, and this is not something anyone would really notice. Right. And it's also causing my back issues. I have a a back issue in my left and I've been to every chiropractor, massage therapist, PT, everything. And it's, it's my scar. And when we work it, my back pain lets out and then it adheres and it causes me like, per, like in incontinence in my bladder because it's pulling my bladder up, right? And so those are just things that for me, like yes, you can totally have incontinence with vaginal birth. Like she's like Julie said, fourth degree tears. I mean, it can be hard or forceps, and it can be traumatic down there. However, this this has definitely been something that I've suffered through for six years, almost seven, and it's not something that's talked about with a cesarean and my vaginal area down there from having my vaginal birth. Like, yeah, it was sore and it was swollen for sure for a few weeks, but it's all back to normal down there. So anyway, so that's just something that I'm like, that I've focused on a lot because I'm personally going through it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, you, you both are true testaments of what women go through when, after having a cesarean and then having gone through the other experience and seeing like, oh wow, these are the differences. And this is, it's not only just helping women. Like I don't have that experience. I have had a vaginal birth and I'm currently pregnant with our second one and I'm hoping Yay! for another. Thank <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. And I'm hoping for another vaginal home birth as well with this one so having hearing your stories not only as you know birth workers but also as mothers who have gone through this it's just it's like i said a true testament and and speaks volumes so so other women can also learn from from your experiences and learn like oh these are things that aren't talked about, and these are things that could potentially uh, happen to me. Uh, so I really need to take these decisions not lightly <laughs> and, and 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 do the best that I can to to have the outcome that I, I'd like to have. So thank you for sharing that story. I, I want to know from y'all, so who would be considered a good candidate for a VBAC?
2: So... I'll tell you what ACOG says and then I will tell you some little caveats about that. But if a uh, good candidate for VBAC uh, according to ACOG is has a single uh baby, uh low transverse incision, so um, there's special scars where you might have to cut up horizontally or um, J type or even just classic like through vertically through the top of the uterus. Um so if you don't have one of those you're a good candidate. If you have a low risk pregnancy, and what was the other thing? Megan, help me out here. One baby. Sorry. Special scar. Oh, only low one wrist. cesarean. One oh, yeah, cesarean. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and one cesarean. Although ACOG has recently amended its VBAC guidelines to include VBAC after two C sections as yeah. a good candidate
1: mm-hmm. for We're a trial of them. labor
2: which is really awesome. It's going to take a long time for providers to catch up to that recommendation. (laughs) published Now in 10 years from now, um, we might see a lot more vaginal births after two cesareans, but that's uh, what's considered according to ACOG to be a good candidate, which is most women. Most women have low transverse incisions. Most women are carrying single babies. Most women are low risk. Most parents have only had one or two cesareans, right? But however, there are still exceptions to that. Oh, and head down baby. That's the other one.
1: Head down baby. And also like having a backup plan. A lot of out, out, like out of hospital providers will say you're a great candidate, but I need to know your backup plan. Like we need to have a plan.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you're talking about, yeah, home birth or birth center birth, then you definitely need a solid backup plan in case of an emergency. But however, as far as breech birth goes, you can deliver a breech baby safely with, as long as you have a provider that knows how to deliver breach birth safely and unfortunately breach delivery is becoming a loss art and it's and oftentimes it's just scheduled straight to cesarean so you can have a VBAC with twins which is really funny because a lot of twin pregnancies are just automatic cesarean and so um, having a VBAC with twins is kind of even more foreign of a concept but twin VBAC carries no more additional risks than a regular v-back attempt which is actually really cool let's see what was the other one special scars. So as having a special scar, like a T incision where um, you have the low transverse and then an, an extension up through the middle of it.
1: As Julie was talking about, you know, special scars can mean a whole bunch of different things. There's a classical scar, which is up and down. So higher in the abdominal um, area at inverted T where it's like a low transverse and then it goes up more of like a classical. And then there's an inverted J where it kind of, I mean, resembles a J, right? And the uterus. And so those certain scars are um, considered special scars in the medical world. And studies have shown that laboring with a special scar really has no significant increase in chances of rupture. But some studies show, you know, that it's less than 2%. So 2% or less, like, that's still a chance right there is still a chance and i personally had this year a client who had a home birth with a special scar v back and it was a beautiful birth and nothing went wrong everything was okay but she also had a skilled provider who was aware of you know the signs and things that she needed to know to get her to a different place if that was no longer the place for her to deliver so some providers, and I will even say her provider was like, mm, I don't think we should do this. I think we should just have a scheduled C-section. And she's like, No, like, but the research to me is showing that I am a perfect candidate for this. And, you know, she she got some flack and she made a last minute change to home birth because she really kind of got sick of not feeling supported. And so you may not be considered a good candidate at that time, but it's okay if you are in this um, position, to do your own research and find a provider that will support you if this is the birth you desire.
2: And I think it's really important to to say there about what Megan's client is. She trusted herself and her education and her intuition or her mama heart um, to make the right choice. When we talked with, um, we interviewed five VBAC dads, and one of the VBAC dads was a VBAC with a special scar. His wife had a Inverted T scar. So it looks kind of like an upside-down T. And he said that they did all the research. And he was a nurse practitioner, actually. And so he was very medical as well. But once they did all the research and they found that their chances of rupture were roughly 2%, um, he's like, in any other medical field of practice, any type of surgery or procedure with a 98% success rate would be glorified as amazing and incredible. If you have a heart surgery where you have a 98% chance of having the surgery go well, who would not take that risk? But we look at VBAC, oh my gosh, 2% chance of uterine rupture, half a percent chance of uterine rupture, you know, just depending on your scar type and how many cesareans you've had is such a scary thing that we avoid it by doing repeat, 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 repeat surgeries that give us way more complications long-term. It's just kind of an interesting perspective that I will always just remember and love from that episode.
0: Goodness, thank
2: yeah, definitely. Oh wait, I
0: would, I would be the same way for sure. <laughs> so, f- just to wrap up, if someone for the listeners out there, so a good candidate, according to ACOG, you were saying, is a first-time mom, uh, or uh, only one cesarean, once a uh, single baby, head down, uh, no complications during uh, their pregnancy. But what are the things you said? What are some other things that make someone a good candidate for a VBAC?
2: Gosh, I think. Besides having major complications like placenta accreta, placenta previa, or a transverse baby, which is like your baby's literally lying sideways and cannot come out, you're pretty much a good candidate for VBAC. Like, yeah, especially providers will definitely look like if you've had
1: a previous vaginal birth, they're going to really look at that as a as a good candidate, or if you've reached a high dilation. So say you got to like eight centimeters or something like that, they may say, you're a really good candidate because your cervix has already labored all the way up to eight centimeters, right?
2: Unless it's like failure to descend if the baby was still high or I don't know. There's just so many things to consider. There's a VBAC calculator out there that some providers use, which is not evidence-based at all. It actually pretty much, um, it's, it's really biased against women of size, women of color. I mean, like if you just change your race from white to black, then it drops your chances by like 20%. It's really ridiculous. That is awful. I know it really is awful. And some providers will use that, but really pending any, any major complications like that, you should still be allowed a trial of labor. If that's what you choose to do. It's just a lot of providers will try and make excuses like, Oh, your baby's too big. We need to do a 30 six week scan to make sure that your baby's measuring the right size. Oh my gosh, you have gestational diabetes. We definitely cannot have you have a vaginal birth or they'll try and induce you or they won't induce you because they don't induce VBACs. I mean, there's just so many complicated things to learn, but having a provider that believes in VBAC, does VBAC, supports VBAC and and does your type of birth, no matter how you decide to birth all the time, is going to be the biggest influence about whether you're going to have a fair chance of having a vaginal birth or not. And There's a quote by Larlyn Curtis, who is founder of the Curtis method of hypnobirthing. And she talks about like, find a provider that does your type of birth every day, that doesn't even have to look at your birth plan because your birth plan is what they do every single day. And that is going to be the best way for you to achieve the birth that you want because they don't have to ask questions about what you want. It's because they already know it because it's what they do all the time.
0: Love it. So with all of that information, then who would you guys say is not an ideal candidate for a VBAC?
1: That's funny. I am like sitting here thinking like, okay, who was really, really not a good candidate? (laughs) Because really most of the time-
2: We've already talked about yeah
1: <laughs> yeah like most people really are. I mean, if like Julie was saying, like if the placenta is right over the cervix they're they're not a good candidate because that that could be really bad. So there are some times that a provider will say they're not a good candidate just based off of like the fact that like Julie was mentioning they their baby didn't descend and they have a small pelvis. I personally would say, meh. I think you're still a
2: great candidate. I have a small pelvis and I had three V backs, apparently.
1: Yeah. And I have a small <laughs> pelvis as well, diagnosed a small pelvis and I had a V back.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, like, <laughs> I really think that it is, there are some crazy cases that I probably don't even know about at this point. And so, I, in like, sort of like researching those really quick, I would say, if your provider is telling you you are not a good candidate, don't shy away from doing the research, getting a second opinion, and finding the evidence that surrounds that reason. And also don't hesitate to ask, what is the medical reason why you are saying this? Call them out. Like, say, okay, I understand you're saying I'm not a good candidate. Why? What, provi- what information can you provide me right now?
0: Yeah. Well, they usually... It goes to well. Your baby's
2: measuring big. Yep.
0: Um, Something with your scar. Uh Yep.
2: Last time you got all the way to pushing and it didn't work, so I tried again.
0: Or you didn't even get to pushing. Uh Like you didn't. Uh You know, you didn't even dilate the second time, so you had to have two C sections. So you know. So they do come up with answers, and I and that's when I'm like, oh, but these moms don't have. The equipment to be able to answer right. back. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, right. okay, we'll go to the back link. Right. That's,
1: that's why we created our course and all the content that we have. You know, we have a course where they can have it and say, okay, failure to progress. Okay, this is this. And they can flip their manual open and say, okay, so this is what I'm showing is evidence based. Can we have a conversation about this? You know, and it only puts power in your pocket to have the information and to be able to feel comfortable enough with your provider that you can have that conversation. I had a client that she kept saying all these things. Well, but he says this, but I know it's not true. And so I said, well, why don't you guys talk about it? Why don't you talk to him about it? And she's like, oh, I just can't. I just, I, I don't want to call out so my doctor. And I, said, I can't. <laughs> and I said, if you don't feel like you can have that relationship with your provider, Maybe that's a red flag that you shouldn't be with that provider because you want a provider that you can have a really good, solid, real conversation. Instead of them just putting fear and fluff, it's, hey, you know, I actually read this. Can we talk about this? Or I actually found this online, or I took a course and it said this. Can we talk about this? Can you tell me why you think this is false? You know? So when you're looking for your, Provider, when you're wanting a V back, tune in to where where are you with that relationship? Is it a relationship, or is it a he's the medical professional, I'm the patient, I do what he says, right? Because right. that is not how it should be. Mm-hmm. It's not. So yeah, because they will, they'll come up with answers like that. I mean, my provider said, "Oh well, if if it was, uh, what did he say? I'm trying to remember now. Something about my, I could have gotten my baby out this time." You know, and I was just like, wait, so you're saying I could have this time, but you're not letting he me. He said, oh, it time.
2: looks like you actually might have been able to get your baby out this time. During Yeah, it, right? something
1: like because uh, her size was 6'2". I think it was her size. If Oh, it was if my cervix dilated. That's what it was. If my cervix had only dilated, then I would have been able to get my baby out this time because this time she was 6'2". And I'm like, well, I wasn't allowed.
2: The last time he told her, oh, you'll never be able to get a baby out of this building.
1: Yep. And this site, I'll never be able to get a baby. And then he also told me that my body didn't know how to do it. And so, oh, well, that's so ridiculous. can you see how there's just so many like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even make sense. So,
0: no, your body is not a lemon. Sorry, it just doesn't work no, that way. <laughs> I just needed
1: a provider that loved me and was willing to wait and give me the time that my body needed. I labor slowly. That's what I do three for three. So, it happens. I just <laughs> needed someone to give me the time of the day.
2: And to trust you.
1: And to trust me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Listen to you. That's that's the biggest part, I think, in the whole practice is just listening and believing women.
2: (laughs) I think the biggest kind of takeaway for who's a good candidate and who's not a good candidate is it's very individualized. It's very individualized and it deserves a really good, healthy conversation between the birthing parent and the birthing parent's provider in a relationship of trust And where the parent is really the deciding factor overall, where the provider talks about the real risks and what the real options are and what they're comfortable with and with doing and not doing, because some providers are not comfortable with letting a VBAC go past 40 weeks. Some providers are not comfortable with giving or allowing a woman a trial of labor if they have gestational diabetes. I mean, every provider is going to have their things that they are and are not comfortable with. And so having a real honest, raw conversation with your provider about what makes you a good candidate and what might risk you out of trying for VBAC is really, really important. Barring, of course, the things that make it impossible to get a baby out vaginally or incredibly dangerous, like a transverse lie, placenta previa, or placenta accreta. Um, Those would those are definitely things that would warrant a repeat cesarean.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what can someone do to increase their chances of a VBAC? Let's just say like, okay, they've gotten the okay from their doctor, even if there was hesitation and they're preparing for the big day and they're getting nervous. It's getting closer. They're like, oh my goodness, I've never done this before. I've always had C-sections. What can they do to increase their chances of having a successful VBAC?
1: It's such a good question. And a lot of people write us that exact question. What can I do? What can I do? And there are definitely things you can do. I I kind of talked about a little bit earlier is educate yourself. Knowledge is power. The more education you know and the more experiences you know from the past, like the more education you have and facts from evidence-based from the past, the better. So you can kind of know the reasons for C-section, what causes C-section, what's evidence-based of what a C-section, when a C-section is actually needed to be performed, and how to get these babies turned into the better position. That's a really good way. And all of that, um, knowing the risk of uterine rupture and the signs and all of that, having a doula, obviously a supportive provider. We've talked about that. A supportive provider is, in my opinion, probably the most important thing. Julie, would you agree
2: on that? Yeah. And I would say not only like after you've got the clear and you've got your provider says, okay, we can attempt a trial of labor, keeping your eye out for red flags because It's really, really funny in the middle of the third trimester, some (laughs) providers will change their tune. All of a sudden your baby's too big or your blood pressure is borderline hypertensive or COVID happens and they're all, they're automatically, (laughs) I'll be back back, moms. I mean, keep your eye out the bait and switch and knowing the red flags continuously and, and not being afraid to challenge or question what is being said to you is really, really important because your provider and your birth location play the biggest, Mm -hmm. biggest Mm -hmm. impact impact on whether or not you will be allowed a fair chance of having a vaginal birth after cesarean. Yeah, definitely. I just,
1: I think it's so important. And even though your provider may be supportive of VBAC, it's important to also tune into where you're giving birth. Where are you having that baby? And are they VBAC supportive? Do they have high chances of or high success as I'm doing air quotes, vaginal birth after cesarean at that location? Do they support it? Do they induce VBAC? There are VBAC bands all over the place. And it's really sad. It makes me sad that there are VBAC bands because it's not needed. VBAC can be induced. So yeah, so provider and location, as Julie was saying, and we think hiring a doula as birth professionals is really, really important. It's something that I didn't do with my second and I wish we would have. I did with our RV back baby and they made a world of difference. They supported not only me, but my husband. And I don't think a lot of people realize how supportive doulas are to the birth partner. 'Cause they really are. They are super supportive. And then they're knowledgeable. They they understand, like, okay, this tracing is coupling, and we're having this this pattern. This could possibly mean that this baby is in this position. Here are some tools and these are some positions to get this baby in a more ideal position to not only shorten your labor, ease the labor discomfort, but progress your cervix, right? And so it's super important to have that extra person on your team. And I mean, there really are studies that show that doulas lower the chance of cesarean. So we think hiring a doula is important. Let's say, Julie, what else do you think is like obviously like a healthy diet exercise,
0: you know, taking care of yourself, you know, a good prenatal vitamin, things like that. I feel like that should go with, you know, like that's any pregnancy, like for any healthy birth, like you need to
2: be doing those things. But yeah,
1: it yeah, it really does increase else. your chances. Because yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. when
2: your body is functioning in an optimal way, then your body will function in an optimal way. Exactly. Right? right. <laughs> right. When, like, and, and helping your body's normal body functions, like you mentioned, having a healthy diet, taking prenatal vitamins, eating rich, nutrient dense foods, or yeah. nutrient dense foods that are rich in mm-hmm. vitamins and lots of protein and less. Less junk food, which is really really hard for me to say as a cheeseburger, caffeine loving woman over here, but uh, making sure that your body's getting enough nutrition will ensure that your body is able to be in its optimal performing stage on Labor Day.
1: Yeah, I. You know, it's funny when you talk about like so with my second or with my first baby, my schedule was wonky and so was my husband's. Anyway, and I ate Chinese food almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I not kidding story. you guys, like every single day. And my provider, I was starting to have round ligament pain. I was running. I wanted to, I really, really, really wanted to run a half marathon and I was running before I got pregnant. And then I got pregnant and I started having round ligament pain and he told me I had to stop. And you know, first baby and your doctor saying you can't exercise. That's why you're having pain. You need to stop. And so I stopped. And so I didn't exercise. I started eating Chinese food all the time. I had heartburn that was like horrific. And so I drank like a gallon of milk every two days because that was the only thing that soothed it. So I just ballooned, right? I lost my activity. I ballooned and man, like not only was the birth hard, recovery was hard. It was, it was hard. And with my second C-section, I, at that point I had started to teach a bar class. I was really focused in nutrition and understood how impactful nutrition is on your body and for your baby and all of the above. And anyway. I had a harder C-section, however, I bounced back so much faster, and it was just, I was like, wow, it's crazy the difference of a healthier diet, you know, physical activity, and it it could literally just be a walk, 30-minute walk a day, you know, that's all you really need to do. So, yeah, I would say that is for sure something to increase. And also, getting a tribe, and I, I say tribe because That's how I view it. It, But getting a support group—not only just your provider and possibly a doula and and everything—but really getting that community feel. And that's why we have our VBAC Link community on Facebook because we want people to come to a space where everyone is in the same space as them, either they were or they are, and they can have that relationship with another person and relate to, "Hey, my provider said that too, or my birth experience just went like that too." Like, and you guys. It is crazy the amount of friendships that we are told that are created through this community. So if you can create a community of positive people, positive people that can help build you up and not tear you down, that's also going to help you along the way.
2: Yeah. I want to touch back on the um, nutrition and exercise thing. As someone who is not a marathon runner and not a marathon triathlete, whatever (laughs) makes. doing right now because Megan is really awesome at all of the physical stuff and nutrition stuff and I'm just not I don't want to people who are not at that point right now to, to feel overwhelmed and like they have to make all the changes at once just focus on one thing at a time like drinking you know 80 ounces of water a day or start adding sources of protein to your to your meal or like Megan said go for a walk around your block it doesn't even have to be start with 30 minutes like just go for a walk around your block Just making small changes like that will help you help your body become more physically able to do everything. And as we know, like pregnancy is just really hard on the body anyways. And so just don't feel like you have to do everything all at once and you don't have to be, you know, a full on athlete or a marathon runner in order to have a healthy pregnancy, just making small changes. And like I always ask my clients whenever they say, hey, I'm having this pain or this is really bothering me or this is happening. I'm like, okay, how are you doing on your water drinking? Take a bath with magnesium, uh, like Epsom salts, one to two cups. Don't be skimpy on it. And how has your sleep been? And I know sleep is usually really hard when you're pregnant, but taking time to just rest and not running around doing all the things is really important too. So slow down a little bit, make sure you're extra hydrated and make sure you take your vitamins, especially your magnesium and potassium and sodium to keep up all of your body functions. <laughs>
0: Love it. You guys are giving some amazing tips. And I I think I'm pretty sure you guys added this, but I also say just education, read everything you can take classes, check out your sites, like make sure that you are armed with information because when someone throws a stat at you or a scare tactic or whatever, you're knowledgeable and know how to respond to it and know if it applies to you or if it's even true. So that's for sure. So you guys, we've talked we've talked quite a bit, and I'm sorry for our listeners. I know this is a little longer than we usually go, but again, when I talk to birth workers, I could go on and on and on, and now I need to know, how did you both get involved in supporting women during birth, especially VBACs?
1: Yeah, so personally, I became... Interested in VBAC when I had my sec- my first C-section, so it was my own experience. Like back in the day, I really wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse because I've always loved birth. My mom used to work at a hospital, and. My mom used to work at a hospital, and she stocked. She, like, was the materials manager, so she stocked all the units. And she totally let me go into the labor and delivery unit and stocked the nursery with her. And I just remember thinking, I want to be one of these people. I want to be someone in this department because it's amazing. It's so amazing. So I always had, like, an interest. But then I had my first baby. And I loved pregnancy even more and birth. And I had my C-section. You know that was undesired. And then I started preparing uh, for my second. And with my second, my nurse actually was a doula previously before she became a labor and delivery nurse. So she was phenomenal. And then she left, and the tables turned on me. One hundred percent turned. And. After my C section, I was super swollen in the dark room trying to get my arms to get numb and hold so I could hold my baby and nurse my baby. And I started Googling how to become a doula, and there was an absolute fire inside of me. It was almost like the adrenaline, like when you almost get pulled over or you get pulled over. And you're like, oh, oh my gosh. And you know, you're just adrenaline just like shoots through your body. It was like that. And I was like, whoa, I need to do this. I I need to. And so I, I couldn't stop researching it. So I registered to become a doula before I even left the hospital. <laughs> <for> my, <laughs> so my husband's like, whoa, okay. Like you should totally do this because you're obsessed and you won't shut up about it. So I did. I took my course and then started getting into the birth world and started seeing vaginal birth. I had never seen a vaginal birth personally in person before that. And I was like, whoa, oh my gosh. And then it made me want a vaginal birth even more. And long story short, I ended up going and having a vaginal birth and VBAC really, really just took such a strong uh, presence in my life because I've all, I'd been through it and I decided, you know what, heck yeah, I want to I really, really, really want to support people and help them know because the tables have been turned on me and I don't want anyone to be feeling like they're in that position.
0: I love
2: that.
1: Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Okay, Okay,
2: Julie, yours. I want to know. Absolutely. With my first birth, I thought I knew everything. I took a hypnobirthing class and I hired a doula and I was going to have an unmedicated birth. And I didn't consider anything else. I didn't consider knowing what my hospital's cesarean or induction rates were, which, P.S., spoiler alert, highest in the state, cesarean rates and induction rates. Even today, almost 90% of their births there are induced. I didn't consider asking my provider detailed, specific questions about what I would like to happen at my birth. I had a doula. And I took hypnobirthing, and I was going to have a beautiful homo- yeah, hospital hypnobirth. I developed preeclampsia at 34 weeks. I was induced at 36 weeks. I was given 12 hours chance for to be called failure to progress after my induction, and I ended up in a repeat cesarean. And at that point, I was just really frustrated because not never through the whole entire labor process did I even think cesarean might be a possibility. Not until my doctor said, we're going to have to do a cesarean. That was the first time it crossed my mind. And I was like, why did I not, you know, I did the whole what ifs, I should have, would have, you know, could have, whatever, if I had done this, maybe things would be different. I, I did all of that. And I knew that my second birth was going to be very, very, very different. And so my first doula I hired because she was the cheapest doula. And I was like, what's the difference between a $300 doula and an $800 doula? Now their doulas are more expensive. This was a long time ago. Well, I guess seven years ago, but... I interviewed 12 doulas, and then I picked my doula, and I talked to many, many providers. I switched providers twice until I found um, also, like you, a home birth provider that would support me in my VBAC, and I did all the research, and I knew how to avoid unnecessary cesareans, and I knew everything I needed to do in order to set myself up to have a higher chance of success. I talk to my doula almost every single day in like the last month and a half of my pregnancy. I was like the most needy client ever. And, she made all the difference in my birth not only preparing prenatally but at my birth like when I when she got to my room it, I felt like my security blanket was there right it's like she walked in everything became regular I swear my body like really entered real active labor like the second she walked in everything like became perfectly timeable one minute long like everything was perfect and then my midwife came in and I swear that moment like I entered transition because like my body and my psyche needed to know that my my people were there to take care of me and I trusted them a lot. And so a couple of days after I had my baby, I was actually talking to my birth doula on the phone and I'm like, you know what? I should become a doula. And she was like, you should be a doula. And so I, cause I wanted to be that for other people. I wanted to help other people in the way that my doula helped me. Not only like you know, during labor, but just to gain the confidence and have that support and someone in my corner, like Megan talked about earlier, was such a significant part of how I feel about how my VBAC went. And and it was a really great birth. And so I became a doula and then, and then I got pregnant again. And then I got, was a dueling a little bit again. And then I got pregnant again. And then, you know, I had doulas And baby, I was a doula and then I had babies and I had doulas and I had babies. And then I, but I always knew that I wanted my doula support and I specialized in VBAC um, almost immediately, like right out of the, right out of the rocket, I was a VBAC doula. And I knew that I always wanted it to be bigger than me, like bigger than just my one-on-one doula support. And so after I had my last baby, I knew that it was time to like move beyond local doula support. And I still do local doula support. I take clients. I have two clients coming up within the next month. And it's really exciting because one's a VBAC and one's a first time mom. And And I'm just like, I, I want to teach people. I want to teach people about VBAC and I want to start a business. And I knew Megan had had a VBAC after two C-sections. In fact, our third children are just a couple weeks apart, which is really funny because my four and a half year old is also four and a half and her four and a half year old. Anyway, she just talked about that a little while ago, but it was fun. And so we started a Utah VBAC link together. And then we realized very quickly that there was a much bigger need out there. And so we changed our business name from Utah VBAC link to the VBAC link. And now we have, just to make a really long story short, because I could really talk about this for a whole hour, but we uh, have grown, we have a directory of doulas that we have trained specifically in VBAC all over the world. I think we just reached over 14 countries now that we have doulas in. We have doulas in almost every single state in Utah that we have trained and uh, to become certified in supporting VBAC clients. And we have taught hundreds of parents with our courses, both online. We do online courses and then also in-person courses here in Utah. And one day when COVID's over, we'll start traveling around the country to do in-person courses, but you know how that goes. But we but we have those courses, which are really the core of our, our company. But we also have the podcast that we release weekly with VBAC stories and other VBAC um, information. We have our blog, we have our social media accounts, we have our Facebook community. We have lots of free downloadable content for people on our website that just help them in any capacity that they need support in whether it's just hearing stories from other people on the podcast or really investing in our course and and diving in you know head first to soak in all of the knowledge and, and learn everything they possibly can in order to be the best prepared for their feedback. and then again you know for birth professionals we offer the same thing just presented differently coming from supporting on the other side and it's been just really amazing journey to see the reach like i don't know i feel like Sometimes it's definitely not easy. It's not easy. Posting a podcast is not as easy as I thought it would be for sure. Um, and, And running and managing a business like this, it's definitely had its challenges, but it's really, really cool because it's also so rewarding when we see these parents be there's their lives and their births are literally changed because of the things that we have compiled and offered to them and it's just been such an incredible experience to see these parents unite and and become educated because of the things that we that we help them find and 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 building their confidence really is the biggest thing is just having parents and and doulas and birth workers enter into that birth space with the confidence they need to either to either know that they can take charge of their birth and and have the best chances of a vaginal birth of, of cesarean or supporting that and know that they're supporting it in the best ways because i know certainly myself as a doula i've left births a few times where it's ended in a cesarean and i question everything about how i supported people like i still do that sometimes like i'm like dang i own the vback link like why like somebody shouldn't end up in a repeat cesarean if they hire me as a doula. I have these like really heavy expectations of myself. And so, but I I can know and look back with confidence that I supported my client in the best way that I possibly could, because I have the education. I know evidence-based information and I guided them and enabled them to feel empowered and confident as they entered into their own birth space as well.
0: Amazing. Awesome, guys. Well, before we sign off, are there any final thoughts or words of advice that you would like to share with our listeners?
2: You know, I think we kind of touched on um, our best advice throughout the episode, and that would be get a team that believes in you, hire a provider that does the type of birth you want all the time, and get educated get educated your education will help you tune into your intuition because you can't make decisions based on things that you don't know and your intuition can't guide you on a path that you don't know even exists and so couple your knowledge with your education and then a perfect team that supports you in order to have an empowering birth no matter no matter how it ends up and it might not end up in a v back for you but looking back on your birth and feeling confident in all your decisions along the way will help you as you process a birth that might not have ended the way you wanted it to.
0: Amazing. This was awesome. Thank you guys (laughs) again for chatting with us today. I love everything about birth and supporting other (laughs) women and mothers. So this topic is near and dear to my heart. And I'm sure this episode will inspire and empower many of our listeners out there. So thank you guys again for your time. Absolutely. And our team will be posting today's episode, you guys, on our Facebook page. So if you have any questions about VBACs or have any stories that you would like to share of your own, please share them with us in the comments. As always, if you haven't already, subscribed to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, thank you so much, Megan and Julie, for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was so much fun to be here and chat with you. Absolutely. And you guys, thanks for tuning in. Cheers to better birthing. And for our listeners, to learn more about Julie and Megan and their company, The VBack Link, visit them on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even Pinterest at The VBack Link, as well as their very own podcast and their website, www.thevbacklink.com Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions about VBACs or have any stories that you would like to share of your own, please share them with us in the comments. As always, if you haven't already, subscribe to Chick Chat The Baby Baby Chip Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and cheers to better birthing.